It's a model for us. And he waited on the Lord and he reminded the Lord of the promises that applied to the circumstances that they were in. And then he confessed sin relating to the circumstances that they were in. And then he asked his specific request that he would have favor. Thanks for joining us for this midweek edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, give us a preview of what we'll see today. Well, Dave, after some review, we're going to begin our look at Nehemiah chapter 3, and get ready, I'm going to botch some of those names. Yet in this chapter, we're going to see how believers who are so different can serve the Lord together. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. Well, be sure to stay with us for the end of today's broadcast. Greg will join us in studio with some practical application, and I'll also be back with information on how you can obtain messages from the series for your own library. Now, let's join Greg for today's teaching. Well, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but we are all very different. We look different. We act different at times. We have different interests. We have different skills. We have different abilities. We're all very different. And yet, when we were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, we were placed into one body. We were placed into unity together. And within that body, although we are different, and although we have differing gifts, we're to serve the Lord by serving one another. Now, when you have a lot of differences in a lot of different people, you would think it would be impossible to serve as one unit, serving together. But today, we're going to see how we who are so different can serve together in unity. We're going to see and learn from God's people who arose and built together. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. And I want to bring us up to speed and where we're at. We have... These Jews who had come during Ezra's time to rebuild the walls, and they were stopped by the Persian emperor uh, with an edict. There was a lot of opposition, and a report came to Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer, that things were not good in Israel, that the walls were broken down and the gates were burned with fire. And he mourned over that. We see this in chapter 1. He mourned over the reality of God's city, Jerusalem, the city that identifies with the living God that he identified with was in such a shambles. And we saw in chapter 1, Nehemiah, he was on his knees praying. And we saw that prayer in the end of chapter 1. He clearly revealed that God is great and grand and that there's nothing that is impossible for him. He prays in that context And we see in that context, it's a model for us. And he waited on the Lord, and he reminded the Lord of the promises that applied to the circumstances that they were in. And then he confessed sin relating to the circumstances that they were in. And then he asked his specific request that he would have favor, that he would have success because he was the cupbearer of the king. He was going to go before him. And by this time, four months had gone by, And it had become apparent to Nehemiah that God would answer his prayer concerning these Jews in Jerusalem who were discouraged and distraught in a sense and being uh, reproached and the walls and the gates that Nehemiah was the one God was going to use as the answer to the prayer. 
And so we came to chapter 2, where we saw Nehemiah, a man who had patiently waited on the Lord. He was a man who was walking with the Lord. When the Lord opened a door, what does Nehemiah do? He prays, and he prayed. But he was also prepared. He knew what he needed to ask of the king, and God's gracious hand was upon him, and the king let him go. He was also very wise in asking for letters for his journey and also for the ability to get wood from the king's forest from Asap. And so the king granted his request, and Nehemiah acknowledges it, that it was because God's good hand was on him. That's why God was working through the circumstances. And so last week we saw that Nehemiah was on his way to Jerusalem to help these Jews. But then we saw that opposition began to form. Remember Sanballat and Tobiah, and we'll hear a lot of them throughout this study, not today, but throughout our study of Nehemiah. They heard that Nehemiah was coming, and to them it was a great evil that someone would want to help these Jews. And obviously we see that principle that when we want to do what's right, there's going to be opposition. We have an enemy, Satan, and those in his domain are his pawns held captive by their own desires and sin to do his will. And we see that with Sanballat and Tobiah. And then we saw that Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, and he was there three days. But yet he didn't start the work immediately. He wisely went out at night, and he didn't tell anyone what the Lord had put on his heart. He didn't tell the officials of the bad guys, and he didn't tell those Jewish officials and the nobles and the people who would do the work. He didn't tell them either because he knew the word would get out. He wisely didn't share anything. And he did a tour of the walls at night, inspecting them. And when he came back, he was ready to share with the Jews what God had put on his heart. And he invited them to come build the walls together. Let's do it. Let's build the wall and repair the gates. And we see that within that, he also gives the reason why that we would not be a reproach. And we'll see that later on, how that ties to God's glory. And they said, what? Let's do it. They agreed and they arose and built. And so it's from this point we come to chapter 3, where we have what some people would say is a long chapter of names and repetition. And there are even people who don't even preach through chapters like this. They just skip these chapters and they say it's boring and long and there's nothing for us to really learn. Well, I wholeheartedly disagree. But there are also others who read into these chapters way too much than what God intended. For instance, there are some teachers who will go into simply in their sermons each gate and they will explain the symbolism around each gate and kind of make a sermon out of that from New Testament principles. Well, that's not what this intended either. And so we need to walk through it and we need to see what did God intend in this passage that we would learn from it, be taught from it, that we would be reproved, that we'd be corrected, that we'd be trained in righteousness because all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable and God wanted to put in all these things for us to see. And so therefore it behooves us to ask the question, why? Why does he put this in here? That we would learn from our study and then be able to respond rightly. So Nehemiah chapter 3, now I'm going to read the whole thing. It's going to take a while. I'm going to hack these names up. You know that already. There's a lot of repetition in here. I want you to see that when we go through. I want you to point out. I want you to do, observe a couple things. One, the repetition. Two, I want you to observe things that are anomalies, things that are different. Okay. And then we want to understand the whole thing. If we gather an understanding of the whole, that will help us with the parts. 
Now, I have on your outlines, I have put on the back a little map. I don't have a reference for who I got it. I did not draw that up, but someone did, so they'll get credit in heaven, okay? But that map will help us because basically what Nehemiah is going to do, he's going to speak of these repairs going counterclockwise, around from the sheep gate and you can follow those names not every single one is in there but most of them are and you can follow as we read through so i would have your bible in one hand the map in the other hand you can watch as it goes around the circle counterclockwise for you guys okay and that's what we have on that map so we come to chapter 3 verse 1 then elishab the high priest arose with his brothers the priests and built the sheep gate They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hanane. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachor, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hasan Aha built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors, its bolts and bars. And next to them, Mirmoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to Zadok, the son of Baana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not support the work of their masters. There's an anomaly, right? Just take a note, so I'm going to give that one to you. And... Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathonite, the men of Gibeon and Mitzpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harhiah, of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephalah, the son of Hur, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumphoph, made repairs opposite his house. There's interesting. And next to Hattush, the son of Hashabniah made repairs. Malkiah, the son of Harim, and Hashib, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the Tower of Furnaces. And next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohish, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters. Hanun, the inhabitants of Zanoah, repaired the valley gate. They built it and hung its doors with its bolts and bars and a thousand cubits of wall to the refuse gate. Machiah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the refuse gate. He built and hung its doors and its bolts and bars. Shalom, the son of Kolhaze, the official of the district of Mitzpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. 
And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbek, that's not our Nehemiah, because it's a different guy, son of someone else, okay? Official of the half-district of Bethzer made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool and the house of the mighty men. After him, Levites, there you go, carried out repairs under Rephim, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of the half-district of Kelah, carried out repairs for his district. And after him, their brothers carried out repairs under Bavai, the son of Hanadad, official of the other half-district of Kelah. And next to him, Ezer, the son of Yeshua, the official of Mitzpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabi, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Elishab, the high priest. After him, Miramoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Elishab's house, even as far as the end of his house. And after him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Maasiah, and son of Ananiah, carried out repairs besides his house. After him, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzai, made repairs in front of the angle of the tower projecting from the upper house of the king which is by the court of the guard. After him, Pedadiah, the son of Parosh, made repairs. And the temple of the servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zeloph, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. And after him, Malkihah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate as far as the upper room of the corner. And between the upper room of the corner and the sheet gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Okay, well, if we were to go verse by verse through this, we would be here a long, long time. And we're going to look at it, but basically there's a lot of repetition, but there's also a lot of anomalies and differences. But one thing that stands clear is that Nehemiah names the names of the people that do this, and he gives some information about them, their family relations or wherever they're from, things like that. So with that in mind, we're going to see that there are the gates and the walls spoken of, there are the bolts and uh, things being laid, bolts and bars. 
Now, the interesting thing is when we read through chapter 3, you think as you read through a book, it is in chronological order. You think, okay, chapter 1, yep, chapter 2, that seems chronological, chapter 3, 4. Well, the reality is when we read through chapter 3, it spoke as if the gates were done and the bolts were done, that they completed it. Later on, we're going to see that these were not completed until later on in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And it came about when it was reported to Sandalot, Tobiah, to Gershom, the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, I like the, he doesn't hold back from what they are, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach had remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates. So the doors weren't up yet at that point. He's going to put them up later on, but they weren't up yet. So chapter 3 is a summary of all the people that did all the work from start to finish. Because they're going to talk about it being done, you see. But we're going to see in chapters 4 and on the progression of that work, okay? So we need to remember that. We also recognize that although it appears they have very distinct things they're doing, it didn't come out of osmosis, we'll see. Nehemiah takes the credit here. He says, I repaired the wall. I repaired the gates, which implies he was leading in the repair of those things. And we're going to see that later on, okay? So then... What repetition did we see, first of all? What did we see? Obviously, we saw the term built or repaired. There was those terms, two different Hebrew terms. One means to build it. The other one means to repair it. You see that. Most often, the building was doing on the gates, and the repairing was on the walls, but there is some crossover. Obviously, there's some places that really needed to be done. So we have the repairs and those things. And then we had the phrase, next to him or them next to him or them, or after him. Did you notice that? We had it at least 23 times. Next to him, or after them, next to them, or after them, you see? And we also had individuals named. Their families. There are certain groups of people. There are priests. There are temple servants. There are leaders. There are people who were paired in front of their houses. There are those who came from outside Jerusalem to help. There were those who wouldn't work, and there were those who worked zealously. Okay, and hopefully those things can be helpful. So with that in mind, how can we, who are so different, so different in the body of Christ, work together? Now remember, we need to recognize what we've seen in the last few times together in Nehemiah. This passage doesn't just sit by itself. It comes on the heels of chapters 1 and 2. And indeed, we saw back then that we need to be willing to do his work, And we also need to do it for his glory by his strength. Let's go back to chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, who is the them? In context, it's not the foreign officials. It's the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, and the rest who did the work. End of verse 16. So here, Nehemiah comes to the people who are actually there who desire to do the work. It's been three days, and he goes on a secret journey, and he inspects the walls. He doesn't tell anyone what the Lord had put in his heart. And then he comes to them and says to the Jews there who desire to work on the wall, he says to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That's verse 17, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. He's saying, basically, it's a bad scene. It's not good. It's not good. It's desolate. It's a waste. Its gates are burned. And later on, we're going to see in chapter 7 that he shares that 
so far there were not many houses that were built in there. We'll see some, but Jerusalem was pretty open and there was not much going on inside there. And so he identifies with them. You see the bad situation that we are in. And folks, I mentioned this last time, godly leaders are not on a pedestal doing their own thing, pointing their finger, telling everyone what to do. They are part of that work. You see the bad situation that we are in. You see it. It's a bad scene. And remember, these Jews had originally left all the way from Persia to come and do the work here. And they were stopped by the Persian emperor. And they had opposition, as we're going to see here. And they were discouraged. They were not doing well. And so Nehemiah points out the issue. And then what does he say? Pretty simple invitation. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let's do it. Let's build the wall together. So he shares very quickly the biblical goal, right? And when we are doing things together in the body of Christ, we have to have a biblical goal. We need to have what God says we should be doing. Now, some goals are very specific. Some goals are very specific in Scripture. Now, here it's specific for him, for God's glory in this context, as we will see. But for us, some of the things are not as specific, but we recognize we are to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're to serve one another. Those are some very basic principles that override the specifics that we need to do together. So then we must understand what we're doing, what we're going to do. What are we going to be about? Hey, let's go serve them by doing this, right? Hey, let's love them by doing this. This is what we should be doing if we truly love Christ in relationship to them, or whatever it might be. Let's be about the work of getting the word out here as we see, right? Whatever it might be. And so here he says, let's rebuild together. But then he gives the reason why, that we may no longer be a reproach. Now, it sounds kind of selfish there at first. Boy, we're reproached, and we don't really like the reproach, and, you know, that the world will look down upon us, so that's why we're going to do it. Well, really, that's not the full reason. The reality is the reproach upon God's people was a reproach upon him. This was his city, and they identified with him and this city, and they were being reproached. Uh, You could see and hear it probably. What kind of God do you have that identifies with this city? It's a waste place. The walls are in shambles and the gates are burned down. You could hear their mockery and their approach. And remember, the Lord himself had identified with Jerusalem. Turn to Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the north, the city of the great king. Well, could you imagine them? They sang these psalms, the city of our God, you know, saying walls and shambles, gates burned down. It identified him and they were being reproached for it by the bad guys. And so then the motivation ultimately, I believe, was for God's glory for God's glory, and that needs to be our motivation. We don't want anything to be said against our God. We want him to be glorified. We want him to be exalted. Indeed, when the Apostle Paul was addressing not giving offense through food or drink, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. 
You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the Ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, you made a very important point in your message today, and as we wrap up our time together, I'd like you to expand on it a little bit. Yes, Dave, and as we've just begun to see in our look in chapter 3, we need to realize that this chapter is an overview of what we'll see all the way through chapter 6. So with that in mind, we've just begun chapter 3, so make plans to join us tomorrow for our next broadcast in Nehemiah. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.